Right. Yeah, at some point, you know, I envision doing shows, and I'd kind of like to look like a, you know, a flipper's table, but not flipper. <laughs> Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. From the ground up, number 54. Um, we have a few things to get out of the way as far as um, Southern Carpet Fest here in Texas is going to be first week of May in Elmo, Texas. If you need details, you can hit me up or uh, Evan Browder on Facebook or Ivory Mon King or a whole bunch of other people just hit us up to see what's going on. If you don't have carpet pythons, that's fine. Either does Ryan, who's going to be hosting it this year. So it's really just more about hanging out with other snake people and finally being able to talk to people who don't think you're a weirdo because they all keep snakes. May 4th and 5th? It is May 4th and 5th, the first week of May, weekend of May. Elmo, Texas. In Elmo, Texas. And then also we do have a shirt contest going on. So um, we have shirts launching March 1st. And then all you got to do is tag two people on Instagram in order to enter or share our post on Facebook or comment on YouTube. I'm on the team. It doesn't work right now in the live feed. So um, you got to do it on a video that's already up. Or if you are like Jason, our guest today, you already bought a shirt and you supported us and you're a cool person, so you can always do that. And um, that is pretty much it. Did I forget anything? I wasn't listening, but sorry. <laughs> I was trying to answer in the chat. All right. I don't think I forgot anything. Well, today we have Jason Brumley. It is Brumley Reptile Co., correct? That's correct. And uh, Jason keeps everything from different kinds of Morelia to ball pythons. So uh, we'll get a little bit into that. Jason, um, you actually just kind of moved on to your own snake farm, right? Pretty much. Uh, yeah, this last year I moved out to the family farm and uh, built a nice new uh, snake room. And uh, yeah, just uh, keeping uh, snakes out in the country. That's awesome. So... Um, do you actually get to be zoned like tax wise agricultural and then is snakes kind of considered like an agricultural business via the government or however you had it set up? Uh, I don't have it set up that way yet. We are zoned agricultural because where we're at and we run an operational hay farm. So we're actually zoned for agricultural use and all that sort of stuff. So that's one thing I don't have to worry about at my current location is, uh, the the zoning laws and all that stuff so that's that's nice at some point hopefully we'll get uh, to the point where we're big enough to need to do something for the stakes to try to get all that road off and all that fun stuff too so we'll what do you do as far as a day job uh, I've been just kind of uh, hanging out for a while, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> That's uh, the way to do it. I'm fishing a lot, I see. Yeah, I do a good bit of fishing. Um, uh, I, I've been in the telecom industry most of my adult career. Um, I got laid off back in the end of 2016 and just kind of hanging out since then. But uh, I'm 
currently kind of looking for <laughs> some part-time employment until I get some more clutches on the ground and uh, go gotcha. from there. Yeah, I mean, I see you have a good amount of animals available as far as ball pythons go. What are the numbers like? I have a few animals available right now, and really those are just holdovers from, uh, God, my 20. 20- 16 season i didn't breed anything last year because i was preparing for the move and building a new facility and all that sort of stuff but uh, my numbers i would say i've probably got 100 100 animals on average um and baby season that that'll jump up to two (laughs) two and a half yeah um it just depends from there yeah so your your ball python season must be full swing right now right yeah, it's my seasons always seem to run uh, a little late. Um, I'm in full breeding swings right now and getting ready, but I really don't expect to see eggs for probably another two months. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know why. I end up hatching eggs all the way through pretty much December. <laughs> and then you're ready to start breeding again. And then yeah, it's time to you know cool and all that stuff start over. <laughs> all right. Was it tough adjusting with the move and all that? You think you're like evened out now? You kind of took a year off and you kind of reset the animals or are you having issues? I sure hope so. That was, you know, my thoughts for taking the year off was to uh, allow them to adjust a good bit and get used to the new room. Of course, I'm keeping them pretty much the exact same way I was in my other location. I've just got a little bit better control over the uh, temperature in this room. And uh, we'll see see where we go i'm hoping to have maybe 20 something clutches this year and uh we'll see what do you uh, see as far as your green tree pythons what have you worked with and uh how is it going Uh, my green tree pythons is i've got i've got a small collection i only have half a dozen animals that most of them i bought as uh unchanged unsexed neos and unfortunately, I have ended up with uh, pretty much a big sausage fest, with the exception of I ended up with one female, and that was the very first uh, chondro I bought. And uh, she came to me from uh, Rico Walder, and uh, she was unsexed, but she's proved out. And I've been breeding one pair this season, attempting for my first time. And uh, things certainly seem like they're progressing in the right direction. Uh, she's in a shed right now and looks like she's in full-on follicular growth mode right now. So once she sheds out, we'll try to pair them up one more time and see where see where that goes. Hopefully, we she's get still her. eating food and everything. She she took a little break from food uh, after I started introductions, but uh, she did kind of come back in take a couple of small meals here recently so we'll see like i said i I won't be heartbroken if they don't go this year but yeah it'll be a good learning experience if nothing else but Mm -hmm. uh, i I, i'd be over the moon ecstatic if i find (laughs) a clutch of uh green tree python eggs (laughs) one of these days now are you paying attention to are you a locality guy designer guy or whatever works most of my stuff is designer um the female I bought, she's what Rico labeled as a Cyclops type. Um, she did have a little bit of uh, Lara outcross. It, she's like, I've got, I don't know, 12% Lara outcrossed in there. But everything else I've got is from crazy 
cross bloodline designer bloodlines mm-hmm. i've got blue lines and calicos and tiger stripe and high yellow stuff that didn't turn high yellow but went high blue <laughs> instead so that's you know, nice though you can't hard argue with that so okay a couple things from the chat Brandon Sander is here. He says, hey, guys. He also, I don't know if y'all talked about him earlier and I wasn't listening, but he said, how did you guys know I was getting something? How did you hear that I'm getting something already? I don't know if y'all brought that up. I don't know, but he said he's getting his first designer male green tree python coming soon. Also, Jason, someone told you drink a beer. <laughs> That's my buddy, Doug. Oh, okay. Thanks for I'm watching, Doug. Know him. <laughs> I thought it was kind of weird, but I was like, it would make sense if they know each other. Um, also, Brandon asked, what male did you put that girl to? Or what's the male you paired her with that you were just talking about? I paired her with uh, my male that came from David Newman and uh, Brian... I'd butcher his last name, Susan or something, but there it was from their Diablo Tenley pairing. So he's got uh, you know a lot of blue blue pedigree in his background, but uh, and melanistic uh, traits as well. So we'll see what they uh, they produce if they go. Hopefully, we'll get uh, predominantly red clutch with uh, you know a high output of. Uh, blue line and uh, maybe some melanistic animals so yeah that's always nice how do you decide who you want to keep back uh honestly my first clutch i'll probably keep them all at least for a year until i see what they're going you know i i have no experience in that as far as what happens and you know once they start changing so i don't know what to look for so you know that seems like the way to do it anyway. You never really know right, if you can. Even after you've been doing it for a while, they can still change something. You, you know, you have an idea, but they could still go different. And so I feel like I would just want to wait till they change and then sell. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would, you know, probably have to take a, a crazy amount of money to pry them out of my hands before they change. <laughs> just on that gamble, because uh, yeah, I need to hold back some and... At least uh, try to find out some f- females. You want to sex them before? <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, add some females to my collection. <laughs> For sure. So I guess backtracking a little bit, how are you? Are you doing cool downs or when do you know when to put the male with the female? I did start cooling uh, back, I guess it was probably around November. And I did, uh, you know, started the cooling regiment and... It was really just kind of a, a whim when I put them together. I happened to be down in the snake room late at night, and I noticed some uh, abnormal activity out of both of them. The male, of course, he was full on breed mode, cruising the cage. Uh, but I noticed the female had she had doesn't usually move too much, and she was kind of cruising the cage and looking up towards the male that was up on top of her. So I was like, all right. The next morning, I, I threw them together, and uh, then the following morning, I came down, and they were locked, so, <laughs> and they've been paired on and off pretty much since then, and started bringing temps back up, and she's, like I said, right now, looking like she's in follicular development. She's kind of swollen and uh, in a shed cycle, and she's been hugging the heat, so 
they've uh, they've copulated quite a few times. So hopefully he's got the job done. But we're going to put him back in there and <laughs> just to just make to make sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, do you think that copulation may start the follicle growth? Maybe you know tell the female to get ready. I certainly think it can um you know i like i said this is my first year breeding green tree pythons but i have seen that happen in ball pythons mm -hmm. quite a bit putting a male and female together will kind of kickstart that process so i figured eh, if nothing else it's worth a shot <laughs> yeah i mean even when i did ball pythons it was like i put them together because i wasn't 100 percent sure always when she ovulated ovulated i would always miss that or yeah. i would make sure i would Put them in until they went to opposite sides of the cage, and I knew for sure is that kind of. That's always my strategy: is unless they're completely ignoring each other and on opposite sides, I'll keep pairing them until something happens. Yeah, until they give me a sign that they're done or don't want anymore, or I get a clutch of eggs. Mm -hmm. So you see, you see a female kind of going towards the warm end once she gets to. Uh, I guess larger follicles and it's close to ovulating or that's kind of uh, the few people I've asked about it. They kind of point in that direction. So mm -hmm. hopefully, like I said, hopefully things are progressing the right way and we'll see. What are you going to do for like a lay box when you think she's getting ready? Uh, I've, I've, you know, asked my good buddy Ian about his method and he turned me on to the uh, Gary Schiavino deal where they uh sphagnum moss the whole entire cage with uh, one of those wood logs i think i'm going to try that instead of an actual lay box seems uh, quite a few people are uh having good success with that method and seems a little easier mm -hmm. so do you i know it's kind of always a worry that she'll like drop eggs off the perch or she'll drop them into the water bowl or how do you make sure that she doesn't do something stupid <laughs> well once we get a little closer you know if we if i think she's f for sure gonna go i do plan on removing a couple of perches maybe except for the lowest perch and removing her water bowl in the evenings just to try to avoid that as well mm -hmm. it may move to a smaller water bowl at that point i keep mine pretty they have huge water bowls. Uh, I use like a 12-inch crock bowl, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, we'll see, you know. Yeah. Try to do everything you can to keep them from dropping eggs in the water bowl. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about incubating green tree eggs or the laying process or anything like that. Um, compared to ball pythons, are there any extra, you know, things you're going to think about when incubating? I don't really think so. I use the no substrate method, even for my ball python eggs. So I use those uh, extra large sim containers and just straight water, uh, sub, you know. And uh, I, the, I know a lot of other chondro guys do. That's where I initially got the idea from, was from guys on the MVF. And like I said, it's been working for ball pythons for me for quite a while. And uh We'll just uh, so if, if people don't know what that means, it's you're basically there's basically like a plastic part that separates the eggs from just straight up water, right? right? And it keeps the keeps the egg box uh, at pretty much ninety nine percent humidity mm -hmm. without uh, you know your eggs being wet. Is there holes in it? It's it's like a plastic grate that's got holes inside. Okay, um, but the box itself is sealed. 
Um, okay. It's like I said, you, you've got a layer of water, and uh-huh. then there's a shelf above it. That they're resting that on. The are resting on. And then there's a top. And then there's a top. Okay. Oh, I had a question. Well, Brandon had a question. Um, do you feel like it is better to keep male and female cages closer together or maybe across the room in visual sight of each other? Uh, the way my room's set up is all my chondros are on the same wall. And like I said, I've only got the one female, so I'm not going to split the room just for one cage. Uh, but yeah, they're they're all stacked pretty close together. You know, I've just got a wall of row of cages that I keep all my stuff in, and I don't really plan to change that. <laughs> and when you when you put your guy in there, how long are you leaving the male in there? Um, typically, um, I've been leaving him in there for uh, a little less than a week. Um, usually within 24 to 48 hours of putting him in there, I'm seeing a copulation. And then I'll kind of wait till they're done. And once they're done, I'll pull them out and give them a break and, you know, come back a couple of weeks later and try again. Mm-hmm. Offer them food. The male, he's he's been breeding well, and he's never refused a meal but yet. So um, female, like I said, she's taken a couple of small meals here recently, but uh, we'll see. Are, do you adjust meals for time of year, like breeding season, stuff like that? Do you change your meal frequency or size? Um, not really. Um, the chondros I kind of feed sporadically as is. Um, my All my chondros are kind of on the smaller side, too. I don't – I've heard the horror stories about people overfeeding and fat chondros and all that sort of stuff. So I've tried to stay away from that. And, you know, I feed my chondros maybe – once every two weeks, three weeks, sometimes, you know. Are you kinda... uh are you a mouse only person? Um, I tried to be, but I have one chondro who will absolutely starve himself to death if I don't give him a rat. Really? He will only eat rats for me. And that's my tiger striped OS high yellow biok and he gave me fits uh as he was growing up. He just he took mice initially when i got him but then he started refusing food to the point where i thought he was almost gonna die or i was gonna have to actually assist or force feed him but then one day i I was walking through that room and i had my rat bucket and he perked up like nobody's business (laughs) and i was just like really you know so i had a rat pup and I offered it to him, and he slammed it and has never looked back. Really? But if I offer him a mouse, he will turn his nose and start running and wants absolutely nothing to do with it. So he's he eats rats. And, you know, I don't feed him. You know, I, I keep him on the small side. So that and, I, you know, he gets maybe a rat pup every three weeks. And, you know, I, I won't give him more than two without seeing him defecate, mm-hmm. you know, to try to avoid any prolapse. But so far, he haven't had any issues with it. You think you think maybe the, the rat thing, because people say that rats can cause prolapse, at least that's what I believe Rico thought. So you think maybe that's if you keep him on the same feeding schedule and feed him a little bit too often a rat? I really don't know, and I have no evidence to back anything up, but, you know, I just try to be extra cautious. Uh, I've heard that it has something to do with the coarseness of their fur that makes the prolapse a, an, an issue. But, like I said, so far I haven't had any issues, and like I said, I just keep the rats on a smaller side. 
And uh, and like I said, he's he seems to be rock solid. Okay, this may, may be a dumb question. <clears throat> it won't be the first time. Is prolapse in the wild a death sentence? I don't know, but I would assume that if you had your intestines hanging out and no one just shoved them back in for you, that's probably a pretty bad thing in the wild. But I would say that it probably doesn't happen very often because you probably have a much different diet. I'm sure that the diet and exercise routines and all of that stuff probably does cut down quite a bit on that. What's the diet in the wild? I'm sure it's whatever, you know, they're opportunistic. So I imagine they're getting whatever they want and the frequency of their meals. And, you know, I think a lot of that is caused by overfeeding and, you know, too large of a bowel movement. Okay. It's interesting that y'all feel like prolapse would happen less because in my mind, if you're a snake in the wild, you're like, I'm going to eat whatever the fuck comes near me. I'm not going to worry about if it has fur or not. And so, like, I feel like it would happen more that they would eat stuff with fur and get more prolapse. They're also moving around a lot more in the wild than they're going to do in captivity because they're coming up and down Mm -hmm. from the canopy or, you know, up and down trees to go hunt near the ground. So there's a lot more movement. And I, I, you know, with chondros, you definitely see movement equals bowel movements. If you get them out and play with them, they're going to poop a lot more frequently um so i have a feeling they're they're probably going more often in the wild than they're doing while they're sitting on a perch there's there's definitely something that we're missing in captivity because daniel natush his paper um there were observations of them having pretty large meals Mm -hmm. so in in captivity large meals are usually really frowned upon you're really getting risky so there must be something that we miss as captive keepers i I would have to say that that probably has to do with their exercise levels you know your your chondro in a cage you know a two foot or three foot cage is not really especially a female is not really moving around that much and they don't have reason to move around they really don't they find their little comfortable spot and they they sit there until you give them a reason to move oh is that your friend chan Sorry. Okay. There, sorry. There's someone on the chat. Jim Bro Jill. And I definitely, I didn't realize it was your friend. He, this is a joke, clearly. But he said, do you ever think that some slow jazz or Barry to help encourage, would help encourage the snakes to mate? Yes. <laughs> hey, Chan. <laughs> so, sorry. now you got me all off. Well, I had another question, I've too. Heard- So do we think we should allow them to, like, move around more after eating? I mean, obviously, if we have tons and tons of green tree, that's just not really I guess a better question would be, you think there'd be anything that would stimulate them to move? I, you know, I I feel food would be a great way to do that, but I don't know how you would implement that in a captive setting. You know, (laughs) if you, you had a six foot tall, a whole room, you know, yeah, a whole room and you could make it hunt for its food. That might be something, but like I said, I don't know how you would implement that in some Mm -hmm. kind of captive setting. It seems like, I mean, we do have plenty of sedentary species that we keep in captivity, but for whatever reason, they're super sedentary in captivity. And then also they, you know, there's no problem when a ball python doesn't move ever and eats giant meals. I just wonder what. 
uh, you know, their ball pythons seem to be built for it. And, you know, I guess a lot of their time is spent in termite mounds. So they're not really moving any, the, anyway. So they're, I guess, more just designed for that sedentary lifestyle, you know. Right. I wouldn't think. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. You know, chondros, there's still so much we don't know about them. And we're just starting to figure some stuff out. So we'll go and i'm certainly no expert by any means yeah i mean it's just interesting um i feel like they're getting bigger and bigger as far as we're being more and more successful and then there we have a whole bunch of people especially here in texas working with them and how do you go about who are people that you talk to and get in touch with in order to make sure you're doing it all right uh, well, you know, Carpet Fest was a great, uh, you know, we do have a really great community here in Texas. And, you know, you've got people like Bill Stiegel and uh, Matt Morris here in Texas and uh, quite a few other guys. And, of course, Ian over in Florida, you know. But most of them are just people, you know, we've met through Carpet Fest or, you know, that are that are successful. And, you know, those are the guys I try to look up to, you know, especially now that we don't have Rico uh, you know, the guys that are knocking it out of the park all the time, like Bill, you know, he's just killing it. <laughs> yeah. He's a good resource to have, you know. Yeah, it Ian's seems like. been super helpful on everything. And uh, Patrick, uh, he's another guy that's been really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of good guys, especially in the Chondro groups, um, you know, that are more than willing to help out newbies like me (laughs) now you're in ball pythons and green trees what's the difference between the community and then also i mean just (laughs) yeah you get the point (laughs) night and day is the is the difference you know one seems more money driven and big egos versus you know people that really genuinely tend to care about the animals and want to progress the hobby you know progress the knowledge that we know (laughs) um as far as them they're definitely night and day the the difference between the groups now there's good people in both communities and there's there's some that dabble in both (laughs) both groups as well Mm -hmm. but uh you know it's uh one of those things. I think uh, I think green tree keepers are humbled because you can be doing it for 10 years and you get a clutch every single year. And then all of a sudden they remind you that they're not ball python. They're not something that you can breed every single, you know, like they're not completely figured out. So, <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll definitely keep you on your toes. Um, you can think be doing everything right and, you know, keeping a bunch of them and, you know still have things go south really fast mm-hmm. and uh yeah they'll definitely keep you humble <laughs> mm. have you seen issues as far as things like prolapse or ris or anything like that i have um i actually had um a really nice uh true blue male that passed away a few years ago from he was just really good at hiding an ri and uh I had suspected it, and I, I even took him to one of the best herp vets in Houston. Herp vet checked him out and said, you know, he was fine. And I come back a couple of days later, and he was dead in his cage. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I had a necropsy done. Uh, this was before, of course, all of the NIDO findings and all of that. So that wasn't tested for, but you know, it was one of those. He, once it hit him, he was, he was dead, you know, and mm-hmm. that was a tough loss. Cause that was by far the most beautiful snake I've ever owned. Really? Yeah, that was that one hurt. I mean, it tends to happen pretty fast in chondros, it seems. That's what it seems like. Um, you know, uh, the night of stuff is definitely scary going around now, but uh, uh, as far as my collection, I've completed one round of nido testing and fortunately come back negative thus far but uh, i do so have you tested all your animals i I tested all of my chondros and uh, a handful of carpets and a handful of ball pythons just to kind of a random sampling on that um i haven't had any ris and ball pythons or carpet pythons but uh, I did have the one, like I said, that was fatal, but that was a few years ago. And I did get one uh, neonate import chondro that uh, prolapsed on me while I was out of town, and it ended up passing from that. Uh, it was just too far gone by the time I made it back. Um, okay, Brad, um, how do you say his last name? Florian said, what's up, Jason? Put me on your first chondros waiting list. <laughs> Also, I'm not. I know you guys talked about handling snakes in before, but I can't remember. Jason, did you say how often you handle your green trees? Uh, really, I don't go in and handle them just for the sake of handling them. Um, I'll handle them when I need to clean the cage or something. And I've got removable perches, but you know they they tend to mess up their perches. And I, I'm kind of a neat freak, so. I'll knock them off the perch and get them out and let them climb and whatnot then. But uh, it's not with any kind of regularity. Like I said, I just handle them as needed. Okay. Um, I kind of let my snakes be snakes most of the time. Um, Brett in the chat, he has green trees, and he said that he handles his every day. And Mm. so he's wondering if you felt like that's too much or what y'all's thoughts are on that. If your animal doesn't seem to stress, and and honestly, you know, none of mine seem to bother, you know, mind being handled. Um, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with it. I certainly wouldn't would give them a few days after feeding and maybe before feeding. But uh, and, you know, if you're trying to run a breeding program, I don't know that I'd be getting them out and handling them that often either but aside from that as long as the animal's doing what the animal needs to do do what you want to do with your <laughs> do, right if it's working for you do it and last question question he said what are your thoughts on breeding green trees and carpets together uh you know i know a few people who who do it um i think they make some cool animals um i personally don't see myself doing it um, but I, you know, I think they make some cool animals and as long as they're represented correctly, then, you know, I really don't have a problem with the hybrid hybridization stuff. Like I said, there's some neat animals that have been made that way, but, uh, like I said, it's not something I'm personally. How easy would it be for you to do it though? Since you have carpets and all male green trees. <laughs> so that's like begging for you to put those to use to some carpets, right? Well, you know, except for the fact that all of my, 
well, with the exception of one of my carpet pythons, I have very specific projects in mind. Um, like like my the carpets I keep, I have a pair of uh, Darwin tigers that I got from Nick. Um, they're head albino, so I'm hoping to make really striped albino Darwins that are pure. And I have like pure Rock Hampton locality, and I wouldn't mix those with anything just to keep that locality bloodline going. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have bread lie, which uh, I don't have any. <laughs> just don't have you, any. you have specific projects paired up. And I have one mutt carpet python. That, he was my first carpet python. That's but it always is. <laughs> you know, and he's a poo-in to a jungle jag cross, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's gorgeous, bright highlighter yellow, but uh, I was really hoping he was a female. <laughs> yeah. You know. So you have mostly uh, like coastal locality projects going on besides the bread lie? I just have the one pair of Rockhamptons, and then I have the Darwins. And uh, like I said, bread lie. I don't have that many. I have, you know, seven seven carpet pythons in my mm-hmm. collection. Uh I said, really, my the majority of my collection is uh, ball pythons. Then uh, I also keep Angolan pythons, and I'm attempting to breed those this year for the first time, and uh, those seem to be hopefully progressing the right way. Is there is there any difference breeding ball pythons and Angolans? Um, not a lot is known about Angolans yet, so like trying to find information about that is really been scarce um fortunately the guy i bought my my trio from has been pretty helpful and the main thing he said was just kind of leave them alone and let them do their thing and keep them a little bit cooler than you would a ball python so mine they're in the bottom very bottom of my rack close to the floor and uh you know they're the male and female have just kind of been paired, and I just kind of leave them alone. You've been leaving them in there together? <laughs> let, them, let them do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we'll get uh, we'll see something. That seems to be the hot ticket item this year. Uh, really? Angle I've ones. just posted a few, you know, a few little snippets here and there, and I literally have a whole folder in my email from people, you know, wanting to be why, on the waiting list. Why is it they're so close to ball pythons? Why isn't that more people don't work with them there's rarity um i just don't think they really caught on as much and i don't think there's that many people that work with them um and i know like you know the bloodlines of them was also pretty limited to a few original imports um so I just don't think there's that many of them around. They're not constantly imported, and no, there's you know. uh, there's almost no importation of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, you know Angola is a really hard place to try to get anything out of, and I think the only other part in, country in their range is uh, like a no no export country. So, mm-hmm. so I get, and it doesn't seem like I don't know any species other species that come from there so I don't know if there's really a market to go collect in Angola and send it out or yeah well and uh, you know the stories I've heard is that country's still completely absolutely littered with uh, landmines so going and field collecting things is not something you (laughs) really want to want to (laughs) do yeah I mean but it's 
It's basically they have keel scales, right? It's more beaded than say keel. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess technically by definition it's keeled, but they they feel more like a beaded lizard. Mm-hmm. Um, but their personalities are so different than ball pythons. They're really they may look alike and have similar structures, but the way they act is completely different. There's uh, no ball up and run away from an Angolan. Uh, they're very inquisitive, um, and they're, they're is that more towards the negative side? Oh than no, attitude or no? They're actually the mine are quite docile, but but more like inquisitive. Said, when you open their cage, they want to come, and you know they're coming straight out at you, and not like you know to bite or anything. But they're they're coming out and uh, see what you're doing, and you uh-huh. know they don't really stop moving. You know, like like I said, ball python. You know. Sit there and hold it. Yeah. Your hand and just sit there, you know. Yeah. But uh, are you are you looking at the same thing as far as age, three years, or are they a little bit different? Uh, yeah. I was told they need to be a, a little bit older. My female is actually she's over five now, and like I said, this is the first year I paired them. So my male's three, she's five. So. We're going from that. Like I said, there's not a whole lot of documentation or resources out there to find. But uh, have you seen locks? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They're they're definitely breeding. Um, it's just whether or not she's gonna turn that into something. Are you attempting to feed them through the whole? Oh uh, yeah, it? yeah. I fed the male. Um, she has actually started refusing food here as of lately. So good sign it's right? always a good sign so we'll, we'll see i still want to see a big old fat ovulation <laughs> right yeah like i said i've never been able to i ne- I rarely ever catch them even when i had ball pythons and stuff it's hard but yeah you'll you'll know it when you do you know, they mm-hmm. i mean at least in ball pythons yeah they they definitely have that swallowed a football look mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so your carpet pythons how old are they um let's see uh everything i've got is probably well my male mutt he's probably four now um then i got my darwins so uh, most of my stuff is uh, only two two years old maybe um they've still got a little while before i'm ready to actually you know, i've probably at least another two seasons before i'm ready to pair any mm-hmm. um carpets do you find the Darwins have attitude? I've kind of heard that. My Darwins are are very chill. Really? Um, yeah, I I really you know everybody says that the the bread lie are always the very chill ones, and my right. bread lie are crazy. You know they're they're wild. Um, they're starting to calm down a little bit, just get used to the routine or whatnot. But when I first got my male uh, bread lie, he would literally like gape like a mamba when you get him out of the cage just swinging from one <laughs> side trying to find something to latch on to uh, yeah. but uh, the rest of my carpets are all pretty cool um, even uh, the Rockhampton Coastals which uh, Michael Pinnell always tells me that his are crazy yeah. uh, but mine are quite docile i mean they're very food oriented in the cage but once you hook them out they're they're pretty cool mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah any. i want to see if you want to try this as the last <laughs> of the year no I'm good. I'm 
Keep right. it light. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've always loved uh, Inlands is really what I want as far as uh, they, they're they're definitely high on my list too. I'm uh, I'd love to see some, and I think there's a lot of refining that can be done in those, and we end up with some pretty cool blue bluish. <laughs> have you seen Austin's? I have. I'm kind of holding off until uh, he he breeds his pair. And I'll uh, probably be hitting him up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's nice living around here and having real legit people, whether it be Bill for Condros or Austin for Inlands and Bread Lies. Is that where you got your Bread Lie, or did you get them from Nick? Or? No, my Bread Lie came from Stephen Katz out there okay. in California. Um, I had actually won uh, the mail. It was one of those uh, Raka auctions for U.S. ARC. And I was just, you know, I won the mail and I was like, hey, throw in a female. <laughs> I'll send you more money, you know. So that's, uh, that's how I ended up with those. Are you wintering them any different than your regular carpets? I really haven't been, but I do. Um, um, I, <laughs> got me all off track. <laughs> it's hard to read and talk at the same time. Yeah, it is. Um, no, I haven't, but I'm wanting to, I've got an office down in my barn that gets cooler. So I'm, I'm hoping to put together some cages this year. Cause I want, I want to add diamonds too. And I want to make a cool go. room in my office and move the bread lie over there into some four foot display cages. And I'll do that with, uh, hopefully add a pair of diamonds in there too, and just keep that kind of a cool room. There's some benefits to living in the middle of nowhere when you <laughs> like snakes. Well, yeah. And like I said, I don't have nosy neighbors and I, I can get out and do what I want. And, you know, like I said, I don't have to worry about the, the local government coming and uh, giving me any door. shit. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get into like your facility and what you have taken into account when you build it. But first, Brad asked if you are having trouble with your chondros in a drier climate than you were previously or I'm, have you been having to miss them or anything? I don't really miss my chondros uh, unless they're, you know, noticeably in shed. And at that point I will miss this, the paper towel substrate. Um, but I run a humidifier in my room. So my humidity stays pretty much 60 to 65% in the whole room. So I really don't have any issues thus far yeah it's uh been pretty stable now is that something you took into account when building your building well i i started running a humidifier uh in my snake rooms even back at the old house just to keep humidity stable um you know in the summer it's not as needed and i yeah i adjust it just to keep it right around that sweet spot for everything and like I said, I really don't have any problems with it now. But like I said, it, it'll run and stay where it's at. You know, I like to try to keep the room stable. You so do you? You run air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. I do. So what do you? Does your room typically get a little bit higher in the summer? Or well, I actually when I built this room here, I uh, I kind of took into account all of that stuff, and I went. Uh, all in and got the the closed cell spray foam insulation so my room's like a big cooler really so it it stays pretty uh 
pretty stable and uh you know i've got one of those mini split air conditioners that uh runs everything and like i said it's got heater and built-in humid dehumidifier in it so if i actually need to remove humidity from the room i just kick that on uh but uh it's uh it's nice like i said so far i haven't had any trouble with it Mm -hmm. so how far is it away from your house and how do you feel having them outside of your house if you had them in your house previously? Um, well, having them in the house was nice, like I said, because you, you're always just a few steps away. But now I'm, I'm, I, it's not too bad. I'm probably maybe, uh, I don't know, 300 yards from, from the house now. And uh, I have remote view cameras and stuff. I really? Cameras so I can <laughs> log in from see, my phone and, and swivel them. around the room and watch them remote. So it's not too bad. And, you know, everything's I've got temp sensors and humidity sensors that will alert my phone if anything goes wonky. So. That's awesome. What do you use as far as, like, humidity sensor and what... Do you use to capture that, and what's the app? And um, I, shit, I don't know the name of it. Off, it's just a cheap little thing I found on uh, Amazon, and it's a temperature and humidity sensor. It plugs into your Wi-Fi, and uh, it was like fifty bucks, but you know you can set parameters in it, and it'll ping you. You know, if uh, something goes outside of those, it'll send you an email and an alert. Uh, and uh yeah it's it's kind of nice that's awesome <laughs> it's nice and reassuring and like i said small price to pay absolutely i kind of i wish i had a camera on my green tree all the time because i i only like to feed him when i see that he's actively hunting and once i turn on the light he'll stop moving around right. he'll go right back he doesn't want he doesn't want me to see him hunting so yeah yeah it's it's neat uh you know i I don't get the best of angles because the way my camera's mounted, but uh, like I said, I can swivel around the whole room and kind of see. And it does, you know, night vision as well, so you can you can pick up it's a little official. bit here and there. <laughs> yeah, are you are you one of those security guys? Or are you you have everything locked up and obviously the security cameras, all that? I do. Yeah, we have you know nice little security system. Plus, I have my my dogs down there as well so yeah they'd have to get through through my big 100 pound bulldog (laughs) to get in there and uh like i said you'd have to drive past my house and all that sort of stuff to get in there (laughs) Uh yeah it's kind of a little bit back there yeah and plus then you know nobody really knows anything's out there (laughs) you'd have to know to be going to look for it so, I mean, if you see a car going by, are you like, that's who the hell are you? <laughs> Do you even cars roll by? Well, like I said, you'd have to really, like, you'd have to come in past my house and then drive back behind and you'd be on private property. So, yeah, all the dogs would be going ape shit, and, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd know about it <laughs> long before. I mean, ever we live in Texas, so people aren't very... Uh, yeah, and, you know... People are defensive. Can we <laughs> say it that way? Right, right. Nothing. Oh, I thought you had a question. No, a... I was just saying we don't have very strict oh, gun oh, regulations. Oh, or... say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, and stay yeah. in your ground state. So yeah, yeah. It, it would not be wise for somebody <laughs> to try to come and do anything. Yeah, There's lots of places to hide bodies out there. If need be. 
Um, there's been a couple questions on GTP and humidity in there. Someone asked specifically about yours, but I thought you made a video on it, and that's why I told him. And Jason not. would know better than me anyway. Okay, well, that's in. <laughs> Jason, humidity, GTPs. <laughs> Um, well, like I said, I, I keep my room about, you know, somewhere between 60 and 65% humidity. Um, I don't have any really shed issues or, you know, like I said, no respiratory issues thus far with, uh, the current crop and, uh, I'm not going to change it if it's not broke. <laughs> what's your, what's your ideas? I know you said big water bowl. What's your ideas as far as changing water? And where I, to change the water, where to keep the water bowl? I mine's like I said I, I use mostly the two foot cubes for my chondros so right in the center of their cage okay. I, it's on the floor um, I've just got like I, like I said it's a 12 inch wide you know crock dish and and I typically change my water twice a week and uh, you know I very often the same day I change it if I come down there or click on the camera after the lights go out they're down there drinking mm -hmm. and uh yeah, that's something I would never see. I don't think I've ever seen my green tree drink. No, yeah, our green tree looks like a ball python to me. Like, it, like it might as well. It stays curled up on that perch like all the time. Yeah, they seem to really like, like I said, the big bowls. And every once in a while, I'll take ice cubes down there. Oh. If you really want to see them drink out of the bowl, go drop a couple extra ice cubes in in a big bowl. I do it. And, uh, <laughs> It, it I thought it was um, – there's something that I heard on a chameleon podcast actually about chameleons in Madagascar. But they were saying chameleons have issues when you spray them down often because when it rains, usually it drops about 15 de degrees. So, mm. so maybe the cold water and temperature – like when green cheese drink, there's cool rain and the temperature kind of goes down. I wonder if there's any kind of um, – what would you call that? Um, <laughs> like crossover between that and, you know, how we keep green trees. I don't know. It, it, to me, it just seems like they see the ice floating in there and it like just brings out the <laughs> something. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I've had it's in, I don't do it very often, but, you know, every once in a while it's uh, I've thrown it in there. And I heard that from someone else on some other show. Mm hmm. And I, I can't remember who it was that, that was talking about that. But I tried it, and sure enough, you know, I saw flat-out chondros go to drink <laughs> it's awesome. right after that. So. And I think it's so important. I learned it from Bill, who Bill changes his water every three to four days, so basically twice a week. So right. I think that's super important. I think Absolutely. Like I said, every time I change the water, you see them drink pretty quick. Mm -hmm. so. They don't like stale water? I don't think they do. You know, I think once you change the water bowl, they'll go down and they'll drink. And once they're done drinking, that's pretty much the last time they'll visit the water bowl. But do they live in a climate that rains often where they're getting new fresh water all the time in the wild? I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, think, I think I think there's quite a bit of rain in certain seasons. And, you know, I know they say that, you know, they'll drink off their coils from the rain if they're rained on and that sort of stuff. But, uh, like I said, I, I can't say. That would really be a question for Ari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind Somebody of environment. Been there. Somebody that's actually been there, you yeah. know. Just sounds like 
we made some bougie snakes. Just <laughs> 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 some very <laughs> prissy snakes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of other species you could keep that are a lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah. But all in all, the you know, chondros really aren't that difficult to keep. I think there's just a you know a pretty specific set of injuries <laughs> that you know you need to meet and. Once you do that, they're really pretty easy to take care of. You know? I think it's hard. I think it's easy to find the information to keep them too hot or to keep them in exoterras. Or, there's too much bad information out there, I think. Well, uh, uh, well, and yeah, the source of your chondros has a lot to do with that, too. You know, people buy, you know, imports and don't know what all that takes, you know. Those are, you know, obviously going to be some extra expenses, vet checks and, you know, deworming and all that sort of stuff to get those really rocking and rolling for you. But, uh, and yeah, people tend to jump into them. They see a $250 farm bred biak at a reptile show and come home and, you know, somebody sells them a 16 by 16 exoterra and, you know, you can definitely keep them wrong and have a bad experience. Do you think green trees should be sh- uh, do you think green trees should be sold at shows? I think if it's done right, there's no reason why they shouldn't be. I wish green trees would have more representation at shows by legitimate people and breeders and the people that are going to do it right and, you know, I don't necessarily think they should I think you could more bring in people, you know, show them chondros. But I don't know that I would let anybody just take one home with one. I might start a dialogue with that person and eventually get them a green tree from, say, a show. But, uh, you know, I think that would perhaps be a better way to approach it. You know, take some cool display animals and get people excited about it. And then, you know, teach them how to keep them correctly before you send them home (laughs) yeah i don't think i don't think it's exactly also like a half hour at a show will suffice no no then that's that's what i'm saying you know it'd probably be better to make contacts and start a dialogue at that point you know then you can provide the research material and the resources to get them to where they should be before they bring one home and i think that's part of why the green tree python community is great because everyone's so involved like people who have been keeping green trees love green trees and want to know the ins and outs absolutely i mean what's not to love you know it's uh it's definitely one of the most beautiful uh, you know species that we get the privilege to work with and with all the line bread stuff and you know there's some crazy combinations out there now i know me like i love keeping green trees but i don't really have the time I want to put into it to breed them or do I want to buy a baby for a large amount of money and not know what it turns out <laughs> so like what what makes you want to breed them and then you know the designer baby thing and all that uh well you know I've just uh always loved them and like I said that was I kind of got into it with the goal of wanting to pursue that and you know you see these guys that have these crazy designer animals and, you know, most of those were not bought, you know, you, you buy into the bloodlines and then you hold your stuff back. So I'd like to have, you know, a pretty crazy collection at some point in my life. And 
I felt the way to do that was, you know, I, I took a lot of gambles and bought unchanged Neos, and mm -hmm. I, I, I dropped a little bit You're of You're reaping what on, you sell. On some of those, mm -hmm. you know, so we'll see what, what they end up doing, you know, in the future, mm -hmm. but and there's definitely a lot of potential for customizing and, you know, just some phenomenal looking animals. What's your, your ideal chondro? I, I can't say I have one because I love them all. I, I love the high yellows. I love the high blues. And, you know, and then you see things like the sickness over at Bill's house. And how can you not love, uh, you know, crazy tricolor melanistic animal, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So there's uh, just uh, a lot. There's, yeah, it's almost like there's no ugly ones. So it's how do you choose? I mean, my mecca is definitely a kofial, a canary yellow kofial, but also like who doesn't want one that's melanistic or blue with the, like the mite phase on it or there's so many know. different ways you can go with it like i said and you know even just the plain like uh, you know i like some the locality stuff like the Moroccis and the arus you, you get these high white and green animals or yeah, even just a green chondro is still a beautiful snake, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Plain green chondro. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, there's certainly, like I said, some some cool stuff to be made with the chondros. Were you going for reds, for red neonates when you bought I, designers? That's all I have is red, uh -huh. red neonate. How do you chondro. feel that that paid off so far? I've, you know, it's, I've got some that turned out. You think out, it's the same odds or do you think it's red is going to be a nicer animal for sure? It, it depends on the project. I think a lot of the, you know, the high yellow stuff, I think, you know, yellow neonates tend to be, have more high yellow stuff, but, uh, uh, you know, with the blue, the reds tend to be, you know, the way to go on those, mm. but, uh. I, I just always love the reds. Um, I could see myself having some yellows at some point, you know, a project with that. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it is where it is now uh -huh. <laughs> just because uh, I love the little red worms when you get yeah. them. And they're fun to watch change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would stay red <laughs> don't we all <laughs> yeah i mean that's really the one we don't have right is the red i read yeah that would be pretty cool i love know. those like i like the dark like really really like like cherry. burgundy mm -hmm. even like the uh, those deep red i love them and they just don't exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah that only lasts for so long mm -hmm. i mean do you feel that i mean it seems like breeders try to keep the deeper red ones. Or Yeah, I mean, I, I have no experience with that. Yeah. But, you know, I know, like, in my purchases, I, I've always tried to buy, like, you know, the, the really dark, you know, with dark pattern. And, you know, the darker the better Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to that. So, and, and I've been relatively lucky mm -hmm. <laughs> when it comes to that, so... Kind of random question. Would you ever drop your ball pythons? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like, not uh, like get I don't rid mean of them? Physically drop. Uh, that's what I thought you I meant. Didn't mean physically drop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I I I still love ball pythons too. The the crazy, you know, it's kind of like the corn snakes. You know, all the crazy genetics is what keeps those interesting to me. And you know, I've got a few projects that that you know I just kind of 
plan on continuing working with. I don't see me adding a whole bunch of okay. ball pythons in the future. I'm kind of been on a, you know, diversifying my collection phase as of lately. So, you know, I have other python species that I want to add to my collection. Uh, in, you know, instead of more ball python projects. Yeah, <laughs> what are, leave those alone. <laughs> what are those projects that you are working with, and what do you like about them? Well, uh, here recently I've kind of been on a kick, and uh, I've been getting into the uh, the Anteresia stuff. So I just picked up a pair of uh, children's pythons from, from Michael, and uh, I also got a pair of spotted pythons from Nick. So, you know, that, that kind of bug, just working with different stuff. and You need and, to get pygmies. Those are my favorite anteresia. <laughs> that's the Seemed one to be the I'm most difficult to... holding off on because, yeah, I, those are rumored to be extremely Devils. difficult to, <laughs> to get going. And I don't know, at some point maybe, you know. But like I said, and uh, I recently went out to Michael Pinnell's house and uh, he kind of got me... He sh- screwed up and showed me his savus and those have crossed my <laughs> list now so those will definitely be a, 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 a ad relatively soon it's so weird once you get into australian pythons because there's so many genuses that for some reason carpet python people green tree python people like we all love them i love i want a savage like once i got an olive python and water you want all the liasses and right right I don't know what it is. is. Yeah. You know, seeing you guys, uh, Olive and all that stuff, you know, I could see having a pair of those at some point. And, you know, I I don't know that I'll go full Eric Burke and try to have every python (laughs) species, but, you know, I kind of working my way around a little bit from each group, you know, Mm -hmm. try to just uh, have a nice variety of stuff. Kind of keeps things interesting, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's weird because in some aspect you can keep yourself interested with all the genetics and ball pythons and then another thing you can challenge yourself with breeding things like green trees or anteresia or different types of species right yeah at some point you know i envision doing shows and i'd kind of like to look like a you know a flippers table but not a flipper <laughs> you know have a bunch a of different species of, you know stuff and it just you know not be some imported stuff you know yeah do you do you feel the hobbies going that way anyway i mean it seems like things i are think there is definitely here lately has been a resurgence of trying to do some of these other species you know which is a good thing for a while there it was definitely just ball python fest and like you can't even find corn snakes at the show it's like uh, yeah, ball python. you'd find one or two tables that had corn snakes or you know colubrids and yeah, it, it kind of made shows boring, you know, to go yeah. walk around. It's like, yeah, okay, you've got the same shit as this guy. And it's hard guy. because the, the cool stuff, it's also you're, you end up supporting someone you don't want to support. So it's like when I see cool species that I love, it's someone that I don't. That's, it's, you right. know, it's the flipper table, like you said. Right. And, you know, it, like I said, it'd be really nice to see some of these species that were captive bred by people that care about them, you know, and people that are passionate about it you know and then that actually you know aren't bringing in imports and you know sick animals and Mm -hmm. we've talked about it before i think it was a while ago though about shows and like do you think there should be stricter regulations on the shows or what did we talk or like 
We got into yeah, an argument was, um, one time, and I can't remember. Kind of like how England doesn't let you have spiders. Should there be regulations on captive bread only, or certain types of animals are allowed? You know. Well, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that. I'd like to see the regulations. Yeah. Like I said, I, I wish that you know more stuff was captive bred but i there's definitely a need for imported stuff mm -hmm. while we still can before everything's closed off just so we can you know keep bloodlines diverse and you know bring in you know stuff for outcrossing you know those there's a place for those people in the hobby um and i think there's is, some people who do it much better than other people absolutely too. you know and some shows do it better than yeah. other series of shows um, you know, down in towards Houston, where I moved from, there's, you know, two major show systems that come through there and it's night and day between those two shows. As far as the quality of the vendors and the quality of the animals, there's mm. one chain down there that, you know, I personally won't endorse or even utter their name because <laughs> you'd literally go in there and there'd be dead snakes and deli cups for sale on a table mm. and you know mites crawling openly oh. on tables and you could report it to the show managers and they doesn't did matter not they sold care. the table they, they sold the table you know and and that just makes you sick <laughs> and then know. i mean you hope that that will one day be weeded out absolutely you know, like you know you hope that that stuff goes away and if enough people will vote with their dollars that will stop but uh, it'd be nice um okay so you said you you were talking about how there's a need for imports until you we can't get them do you really think that's going to happen sometime soon uh, well, a lot of countries are, you know, considering stopping exportation or importation because of, you know, the ecological damage. And plus, you know, a lot of these species, their habitats and natural are diminishing and they're becoming scarce and hard to find. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of places there's a possibility that some of these things that we have in captivity, you know, if we don't breed them or, you know, keep what we have going that. You know, they'll die out of the pet trade and we'll never see them again. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, they come from very volatile places a lot of times too. So, and I mean, there's places like the Solomon Islands. We didn't get Solomon Island ground bows until recently. Now you see hundreds of them all the time, but you didn't see any of them for the last 10 years. So it's like places open up, places. Yeah, set it's down. kind of revolving. You know, you definitely see places that, like you said, that open up and, We'll get some stuff for a while and then something will change, you know, and then we don't, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we, you know, definitely work with what we have and, you know, keep those captive bloodlines going. But, you know, like I said, there's there's certainly a place for, you know, when we can get animals to bring in animals to keep those bloodlines diverse and outcrossed, you know. Yeah, I wish we had some type of system where we can be like this person and this person keeps this far off species, you know, so that we know when we want to get them or that person goes out of the project, they can like be like, Hey guys, who wants this pair instead of selling a Dunn's Python by itself and there's zero, you know, in separate places. Yeah. Yeah. That would be nice. Uh, but you know, and, and unfortunately a lot of those, you know, fringe projects, they're in the hands of, like you said, one or two people. And, if something happens to those one or two people, then 
nobody cares you know those that species gone from mm -hmm. the you know from the trade so yeah i mean it's just i want um more people to care about more things but i don't want to be that person at the same time who keeps you know <laughs> yeah it's hard to be out i'm not going to be the person out there maybe who keeps indonesian tree boas and feeding them lizards and you know so it's hard because some species are maybe not meant to be in captivity i don't know right right yeah i can't say that i want to be that guy for everything either. you know <laughs> there's there's some things that i draw the line on you know i i try to stay away from snakes that are super messy you know, that's why I don't have colubrids and, you know, Timor pythons and, you know, that sort of stuff. It's just, you know, of course, you know, when you have a relatively large collection, then if you're not doing it full time, that can be a lot of work trying to do manage a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of those, you know. Yeah, that's that's really the one thing I've realized about retakes and knowing people that breed retakes is, how they destroy cages constantly. Oh, yeah. Not only do they eat a lot and eat expensive rabbits, they shit and piss <laughs> all the time. Our corn snakes make little hard things. You scoot like it's just nothing. But but they shit more than say a ball python or even green trees barely but shit so ever. Small. Or ball okay, it's gross. Are ball python shit small or big? It depends. It really <laughs> depends. I have some that are, you know, relatively regular. And you know they're 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 small and you know what's so. But every once in a while you'll open a cage and be like, "Good lord, who snuck in my snake room and shit in this tub?" You know. And there's smears too. I've had a See, few ball pythons smear do that. all over. They're hard yeah. and dry and easy. Yeah, every now and again you'll get one that likes to paint the cage. Um, you know, and it's gross, but yeah, it's what we do. Kind of got. Mine are few and far between that do that, but I have one that's consistent. You know, every time it shits, it's gonna paint the ceiling and you know, <laughs> all four walls, and mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just something you kind of deal with. That's why Absolutely. I keep extra tubs and just throw that tub in the wash pile. <laughs> yeah, set up a nice. new one. <laughs> right, rather than spending your time right there, you can just change yeah. it out and do whatever. I definitely, when I set up my room, tried to make everything as efficient as possible to be able to manage a collection. Like, you know, uh, I, I keep extra tubs for everything and use disposable water bowls. And What's your substrate for everything? I use Aspen. Uh, shredded the you know shredded aspen I actually just while i was up here today i ran over to arlington and picked up a whole truckload full of aspen really? <laughs> oh, uh, it's uh it seems to work for me i like it better than you know some of the the mulches mixes and that sort of stuff you tend to get the little flies with the cypress mulch and eh, i don't like coming into my room and having a you know We've had that for a flies. little bit. It, we haven't had them in a long time, but for a little bit we had them. And it was so freaking annoying because they're so small. And they just, just fly. Yeah. yeah. I think I think we just had, um, in the setup that we had in the old place, no, it was here. just so small and stagnant. I yeah, just felt here. like. In this white rat. It's also kind of a summer thing. I always tend to get like yeah. fruit flies and stuff mm. during the summer. Well, we and... haven't had them in the winter. Well, granted, half of them have been brumating. But yeah, we haven't had them in the winter yeah. In Colorado, bugs don't exist, so I didn't have any bugs in my collection at all. I don't even know if there's mites there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, down here in the good old South, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of stuff to go around. Right. 
Yeah, if you have anything with heat and humidity, you know, you it can create. It's gonna uh, attract things. Yep, absolutely. Valiant said rabbits aren't expensive; they're about six dollars each. Well, if we like me and Jason talked about before, it's like maybe a you know a rat crawler costs costs you a little bit over a dollar, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I pay. A dollar ten for a medium rat, you know, something like mm. that. So, eh, you know, yeah, rat pup, rat crawler, you know, those are like 75, 80 cents, <laughs> something like that, you know. So, I mean, six dollars is a big chunk. That, when you if start. you have like 30 retics, you know, like that adds up. Yeah, no you know thanks. How often do retics? Now, he said retics eat once a month. Is that true? I've, I know Ryan feeds his usually, I think, about once every one or two weeks, depending on breeding cycle. But so there's definitely. Every two weeks? Mm. Shit, I, you know. They're 20 feet, man. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot more snakes. Big, big snakes need big meals. That's for sure. Now, as far as your balls go, are you doing, you do anything? <laughs> Sorry, I'm such a child. I don't You're know. immature. <laughs> as far as your python. Regius or Regius, what do you uh, do? Do you do anything over small rats? I, I feed my, my adults. Uh, my adult females get mediums. Okay, uh, and you know, I feed them like every other week um, a medium rat, and go from there. You know, uh-huh. I, once they're over like a year old, I, I I go to the biweekly feeding with them. You know, when they're you know hatchling to the first year i feed them every week you know seven days and Mm -hmm. just move them up do you are you all frozen thawed or do you breed some of your own or i do not i i want to here in the future get a little colony going i have two snakes that refuse anything but live are those both ball pythons they're both ball pythons bastards <laughs> and yeah and fortunately for me there are literally no i have to drive to tyler to pick up live rodents so i've got a two hour round trip to go pay how much only... are those two little guys worth <laughs> unfortunately they're part of decent uh, you know uh recessive projects that i got so Mm. they're sticking around for right now but uh yeah at some point i'll hopefully once i breed those and uh, get something from them i'll probably sell those you can replace them (laughs) i'll replace them (laughs) yeah that's what always sucked when i kept ball pythons is that you just had those ones that just never really took that well or weren't great feeders or if you didn't feed them live they wouldn't eat as readily as you wanted to or it just seems to always be a thing. Okay. Evan said, I'm supposed to be relaying his messages to you, and I told him that you said I can't bring up anything that will get them off topic. But I'm just going to say all of Evan's messages. Evan said Timors look like a scrub and a retic had a baby. That they do. I don't, I've they're, never even heard of a Timor. So. They're pretty cool, but like I said, uh, everybody I know that has them hates them. Okay. They're, 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 they're quite... Uh, so why does anyone have them? They're, they're pretty, <laughs> Just they're pretty, pretty looking snakes, okay. <laughs> but they're dirty. You know, I hear they're they're really messy and and stop and, trying to talk while you're peeing. You know, I hate when you do that. Sorry. Yeah, and and they're not known for having a very friendly disposition. Okay. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Um, he also said we need to go get. 
on some blue cats. I don't have the gear for it right now. I have a couple of poles, but uh, I have a couple of collapsibles with me. I could maybe go catch a bass, but... What do you need for a blue cat? Something, something bigger than what I got <laughs> with me. <laughs> and that's all he said. Oh, he said the show was made to go off topic. That's, that's pretty true. Oh, he also said you can stop by on your way back if you want to to his house. He also said if he knew you were coming, we would have planned a fishing excursion. <laughs> I'm sure he's fishing out here tonight or something. Jason, you got to be ready to stay out all night, be cold, and be miserable if you want to if you want to fish with Evan. Yeah, I know. He, he always seems to pick the like the worst nights to go fishing when it's miserable. And well, cold that's and... that's his method. He thinks when it's colder out and shittier out, the bigger cats eat. So. Well, and he's more of a cat fisherman than I am. I'm more of a bass fisherman, and I like nice weather and you know bright and early in the morning and. You know, yeah, he likes to stay out late and, you know, catch some big cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always liked, um, I used to bass fish a lot or trout fish up in New York. And it's, I like to do things that keep me much more active. So if you're just throwing out a chicken liver and waiting for hours, it's just torture to me. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's not really my style of fishing. I'm. I'm a big kayak fisherman, so I like to get out and, you know, go kayaking and go bass fishing most of the mm-hmm. time. And I do a, quite a bit of fly fishing, too. So, you know, it, it definitely keeps you active <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah, and plus all the fish, like bass in particular, are active all day. And maybe even particularly when it's warm out and stuff like that, so it's nice. You know. Yeah, I tend to do better um, with uh, bass yeah, it definitely during the day than I do at night. Now, every once in a while, I'll, I'll hit a, you know, in the really hot part of the summer, night fishing for bass isn't too bad. But, uh, yeah, I still, I'm more of a day person. <laughs> yeah. I've got two questions. One random, because I'm just keeping up with my random questions of the night. And then the second one's from Evan. Would you like the random one first or the Evan one first? Just go ahead and shoot. Okay, random one. What do you think it will take to get more women in the reptile community? That's a good question. I don't know, <laughs> to be honest with you. Women are a mystery to me, <laughs> so I, I'm probably not the best uh, one to answer this question. But, you know, I, it would, I, you know, I don't even want to speculate, really. <laughs> I think I think snakes play towards like all the things in the male psyche in comparison to female. I mean, it's shown as a scary thing, kind of a tough guy thing, kind of a getting over your fear thing. There's probably a lot of truth to that, <laughs> especially retic guys. I I do seem it does seem like there are more females getting involved. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I still think that's. Uh, it's definitely still a male-dominated <laughs> industry hobby, and I think uh, the females definitely deal with a certain amount of shit. Whether and yeah, the the people you know, the guys could probably be, be a little bit less creepy, or you know, some of that. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's like. If you're a female and you're throwing yourself in a male-dominated world, you're bound to get some shit that you, you definitely don't like. You better be prepared like. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all 
Y'all suck. Basically, what you're saying is y'all suck. If you were a man entering a female-dominated world, you wouldn't have to prepare for shit. Yeah, it's kind of weird, though, because males, like, if females throw themselves at you, you're not exactly offended. <laughs> yeah, that perspective is a little different there, you know? Because, like... Yeah, you're you're chumming the waters because most females try to get you to not keep snakes. So if there's a female that keeps snakes, everyone's like, "Oh, that's a good one, <laughs> right?" <laughs> so you're chumming the waters. I've never heard that expression. I still I don't get what what is chumming the waters. All right, so <laughs> no, I really want to. Well, say when you're fishing. Mostly, it's mostly men for sharks, right? When they're going to do research or catch sharks, you chum the water, which means you put out like fish guts and parts and blood, so that the so that the sharks smell it, so sharks come. So, in other words, a female so in the reptile community the is kind of like chum in the water. Oh, okay, so the men all smell them, and they all come and flock. There's twenty of them at a time. Right. Thank you for your analogy. That was great. Okay, now to the not random question. You're the only one who didn't know what chum was. I guess I've heard of chum, but just the expression chum in the water, chum, chum in, <laughs> chum in the waters. Is that what you said? Okay. It's just weird. Um, Evan's question was how many, I think you said this earlier, but he wasn't here. How many other chondro pairings you got coming up? I only have the one female. So yeah, unfortunately <laughs> I only have the one going at least until I, uh, you know, get some more females in my collection. You so. think it's possible? I mean, females are kind of gold and reptiles all around. You think it's possible to trade males for females? Or do you have any hopes? Uh, you know, I, I may buy some females, you know, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. What's your method as far as buying females? Because I hate buying females, especially once, because for a chondro, in order for them to know it's female, is to the point to where... Um, they're a little bit older and it's getting closer to breeding age, so there must be a reason why they're getting rid of a female, if you know what I mean. Right. Well, you know, I, I think that holds true with some people, but I think if, you know, if you want a good younger female, you just got to be ready to drop the coin. So you yeah. think there's people that hold on the clutches that long to where they can sex them and then let them go? Yeah. Yeah, there are. They're definitely available out there. You just might have to have a few connections. Break into and, the four-figure mark. And, and yeah, you're you're definitely going to be in the four-figure mark, you mm-hmm. know, to, to get that, that far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's important for people to know is that your import, it's hard to get U.S. Captain born and bred just because imports may start at 250 and then u.s cat born and bred may start at 450 and then your designer animals are getting over a thousand most times so uh, yeah yeah i've uh most of my chondros are in, in the high four figure range um they're they're not cheap when you start playing especially with the designer stuff mm-hmm. you know they, they get up there. <laughs> and when you want a proven, or, you know, not a, necessarily a proven, but, you know, a, a sexed female, you're going to have to come off some coin from a, you know, especially from captive bred. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be cheap. I thought it was, it was really cool though when Bill, because I saw someone paid like $1,200 for a locality female or something like that. And everyone was like, oh, you got ripped off. You got ripped off. And then Bill was like, 
um, I overpaid for this female and it made the sickness. So <laughs> go fuck yourself, basically. Yeah. Like. I don't know. You know, they're definitely hard to put a value on. Um, I mean, uh, especially, you know, there's some beautiful localities out there that, you if know, if you know what to do with them, they pay off. If you mix them with the right stuff, you, you end up, you know, like a little said, bit of luck. The and there's a lot of luck. And, you know, <laughs> you, you, you never really know what you're going to get, but, you know, there's uh, some simple outcrosses that have resulted in some phenomenal animals. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to do a far out reach here, but do you think that different localities putting them together, you get dramatic results? Because maybe, you know, northern and southern species, maybe, you know, kind of like when you cross a chiropython with a green tree, since they're separate species, you get amazing results. Do you think maybe there's some result there? I, you know, I, I've seen the papers and, you know, Daniel Natush has talked about that, that really there probably should be what five or he mentions like five or six different species of chondros. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely think there may be some legitimacy to that as far as, you know, some of these maybe more hybrids than just the north south, you know, a out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these other things may there may be definitely more than two species of chondros out there and then every hybrid looks so good like no matter what it is it's so hard to be a pure guy because right. every hybrid looks cool i don't know why right yeah there are a lot of different cool hybrids out there mm-hmm. but i mean it's super interesting as far as um getting into uh, chondros it seems like localities you can pretty much tell what's what a lot of the time as far as especially a root. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and some people are better at that than others. But, you know, like I said, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge about the, you know, I know the localities, but, you know, I'm certainly no expert on locality animals. Even if you are, you didn't pluck them out of the wild. So you don't know <laughs> where they really came from. You don't know how much truth there is behind that. You know, there's certain phenotypes that, you know, tend to or they're labeled like that but then again you never know if they're just randomly collecting things and that looks like this (laughs) you know let's say it's this yeah so was that the one that passed away was that your only um import that you ever had oh yeah yeah i i took one little stab at uh you know farm bread it was you know it was like my third chondro or something and i was just like i want to try doing a farm bread and uh it's not that i have anything against farm bread or anything like that because it seems like people have equal success if you know what you're doing absolutely you know you just have to take the extra steps to Uh you know get them checked out get fecals done worm them you know that sort of stuff but uh they proved to be great animals in the long run but uh, like i said it just my collection kind of went you know one way with it and you know i just kept going that way so right yeah i mean there's um for a lot of different animals farm bread or you see people say captive breads in some in some species captive bread means truly captive bread in chondros it means it doesn't necessarily (laughs) yeah it means you got an animal and figure it out from there it came from indonesia more than likely yeah yeah (laughs) somewhere in indonesia (laughs) you know 
So I think it's kind of um, people get confused by the vernacular that we we use certain words just for chondros sometimes. <laughs> right, right. Especially sure. captive bred. I mean, you can get animals who they may have been bred in captivity, but they were fed lizards from the wild or something. <laughs> so they end up getting the parasites. The parasites anyway. anyway yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no telling what all goes on over at the farms over there, and you know some of those are. Like I said, kept outside and fed whatever to get them going. Whatever water bottle they came in <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, there's been evidence that a lot of those are, you know, wild caught, you know, avenues for smuggling wild caught, you know, so. Or, yeah, there's no there's no way the Indonesian government's keeping track of who's collecting eggs or if they're hatching out captive boy, you know. They don't right. If they're control. coming out of those facilities, you know, it's one of those things, you know. Mm-hmm. You'd have to really know that farm and what they're doing there, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, Evan mentioned that all his animals are imports, but I, I feel like Evan has bought them as established imports, actually, from other people. I wonder if he would have something to to say about that. But it seems like he gets animals that may have a few months on them that may be established or something like that, but. He's had great success with imports. So. Yeah, like I said, some, you know, some people have great luck with them. Mine, unfortunately, like I said, it, it was a, it was kind of a freak accident. You know, it was something that had I been home, I could have dealt with it. You True. know, but it was just one of those things. I was out of town and you know had a prolapse and came back and you know that snake never recovered. So, do you feel like there was any cause from it that you may have done or? I really don't know. You know, it, we had just, I had just started the worming cycle on it. So I, it was relatively fresh. Yeah. You know, it hadn't been in my care for that long. And, you know, so certainly adjustments going on. Yeah. There was a lot going on, you know. So, yeah. and it was still a fairly young neonate. And like I said, just not super established, you know. But, uh, like I said, it is what it is. It's the way it goes. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, that's why it's so hard with animals that are a little bit harder to keep. Some of them fetch higher prices, and then it's like, shit, you're paying a higher price for an animal that has less of a chance, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, chondros will definitely make you uh, uh, crazy when it comes to that sort of stuff. <laughs> you can spend a lot of money on a chondro, and it's still, you know, drop dead. Yeah, <laughs> especially with, you know, some of the crazy things that are going around now, the Nido and stuff like that. You got to be really careful and, you know, know I who mean, you're buying from. <laughs> I definitely think it's something that's always been around. Oh, I haven't identified it for sure. You know, I mean, it, there's always been talk about chondros just dropping dead and, you know, something was causing that. Just we didn't have a name for it yet. Mm hmm. <laughs> Now we're starting to figure a few of those pieces out. You know, there's probably other things that cause that as well, not just Nido, that we haven't quite put a label on yet. You know, and I wonder things like um, in Corallus, like emerald tree boas, um, they have that regurge. Yeah. So it's like I wonder what's going on with them, and they've co-evolved. Meeting emeralds are so close to green tree pythons, even though they're on opposite sides of the world, right? Because mm. convergent evolution or whatever. But um, so the regurge means that emeralds, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's both imports and captives. I believe 
can just start regurging meals. And once I do that, I've heard it's pretty much all downhill. Yeah. And like, there's no recovery. Like it just keeps on regurging until they starve to death. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I don't have no experience with it, but I listen to a lot of Corrales radio and they're always talking about that, you know, that chronic regurge syndrome and, you know, apparently it's it's can be quite contagious as well, and the whole collections, oh, you know, go down as well. So there's obviously something more to it, but you know, the funding's not there to put labels on everything, and uh-huh. you know, have nice, crazy, you know, whatever, put a put a name to that particular syndrome. You know? Yeah, it just seems like you're fucked if it starts happening. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's something similar to a virus you know i would think you know but i'm not no expert on (laughs) that sort of stuff so was that we were talking about boas before because i was showing you the amazon is corrales i mean it's a logical step from green trees to emeralds have you thought about it i have thought about it um you know if i was gonna do it i I would kind of want uh, a separate space. Like I would want to build another room to maybe have boas um, just to avoid contamination. Or You, you know, think uh, you scared of the IBD type stuff? Or? Yeah, just, you know, like I said, I, I've got a fair amount invested in my collection all around. And, you know, I wouldn't want to do anything to jeopardize that and if i was going to especially with imports and stuff like that yeah i would you know certainly you you could eliminate some of that by buying from people who keep both and you know you know all that sort of stuff but i just i'm not at the point yet where where it's like there's still more python species that i want (laughs) first (laughs) you know on my way so once once we get there, we'll we'll look into that. And I've still got room to expand in my barn, so there there could always be a second snake room or a, <laughs> uh-huh. know, a few more a few more things. So, what are the pythons that you're looking at besides Anaresia? Uh, well, like I said, I, I'm definitely you know I mean savus are on my list. Um, I could see olives. Um, I want Stimson's pythons. Um, few more here and there i could see maybe a super dwarf retic uh, i've yeah. seen those ones that are like basically corn snakes i'm like what <laughs> the fuck it's yeah, they're, awesome they're, they're kind of cool um I, i've been watching a lot of the you know reach out reptiles youtube channel and you know it gets me interested in some of that stuff and like you said having a, a retic this you know five five foot because <laughs> there, there's definitely a different personality to a retic than most other snakes i mean they just seem very alert and intelligent that, that's what i hear you know i i don't have a whole lot of retic experience i i had and uh you know my big snake experience was uh, uh burmese that was my first snake um but yeah I've uh, interacted with them a few times, but they definitely have just that look in their eye. Like, you know, they're they're thinking about what you're doing and trying to figure you out, which, yeah. which is kind of cool, you know. And it's something I see in my olive python also, but it's like seems to come in the package of a large snake. Right, right. Would you ever get a Loma? I, I, yeah, I like Womas, the Aspidites. I'd really, if I was going to go that route, I would really like to get a blackhead. Isn't it funny? <laughs> it's I don't know if it's because people had demand on it before, but 
I always like snakes that are more expensive. I don't know if that makes them cooler or what the hell. Yeah, I mean... Like corn snakes. Right, right. But I'm saying between a woman and a blackhead, I want a blackhead, but a woman I can buy for two fifty, and a blackhead's about a thousand bucks. Or more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And I don't know. Maybe the higher price just has like a that layer of exclusivity because not a lot of people are going to be willing to drop that coin, you know, for a, for a snake. So we'll... Uh, you know, there's a certain amount of snobbery that we do, <laughs> whether it's intentional or not. A little you bit want, of elitism. You okay. want things that are exclusive, just like any collector, I guess, of anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, you always kind of want the best of what you can get, you know. Yeah. I mean, I would love a Dunn's Python. Does it look better than any other Python that I have? Does it look much different than an olive Python? No. No. Yeah. No. People yeah. actually everyone else would like it less than most of the other snakes that you have out there, but Right. Just cause, you know, you know that it's rare and not many people are working with it, you know, that that kinda ups the level of stuff like that, you know. Yeah, that only us weirdos care about. Yeah. <laughs> only certain people get that, you know. How do you deal with like the I mean, all snakes are made up in value to a certain degree because they're all just snakes. But, like, especially, you know, ball pythons is something I see. Because, like, mutations are only rare for, like, a few years. Right, for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, pricing stuff is is definitely weird, you know. It'd almost be easier if they were all just a set price, you know, and, like, like the corn snake stuff where, you know, everything... Sell everything for a hundred bucks or less, you know. It'd be be almost better than it will ever. get there give it a yeah, give it a little while it's, it's headed that direction you know yeah but uh yeah i mean the ball python is definitely it's all over the map you know especially you know when i started buying ball pythons single genes were some single genes were you know a thousand bucks you know and yeah. now you you're doing good to get 40 there's you know, there's just five mutation. gene animals <laughs> floating around there all the time um, okay, sorry, someone just brought up the albino olive, or Gustavo brought up the albino olive python. I don't know if he was saying that Dave has one, or he was just talking yeah. about that. So we, I've been talking in the chat. Dave, Dave Palumbo has one. Oh, thank you. That was the statement I was going to say, if you had given me a second. Uh, I've been talking to Gustavo in the chat where y'all are talking because Gustavo went to the Southeast Carpet Fest past weekend and he said it was just completely amazing. Like he said, Dave's house, Dave's collection, he's a whole separate facility. And it just kind of reminded me because y'all are talking about that. Um, he's a whole separate building next to his house and he just said it was it was crazy. And supposedly he has an albino olive python and I bet it's beautiful. He said they had a lot of food, a lot of beer. He said yeah. he was the last one to leave, and there was a fridge full of beer still at Southeast Carpet Fest. So that's good. Side topic. He said he drove all the way home, though, after Southeast Carpet Fest, even though he le- he lives two and a half hours away because he pulled up to the hotel, and it was, like, below sketchy. Like, <laughs> he said there was, and, like... <laughs> and, and is he in, like, Ecuador right now? What? Yeah, ask him. Gustavo? Yeah, he's, he's he, posting pictures on Instagram from Ecuador. So, oh, if he, so but, he must have left like the day the, 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 I don't know. To me, I thought Cape Corral or Coral. I don't know. In my head, it's a nice I place. I Corral like it was a... I say Corral. I call it Cape Corral every time. I don't know why my brain tells me that. But yeah, he said the... Uh, the hotel there was really really sketchy but um. i mean i was really interested in like 
Dave has an albino olive, which I'm sure you've seen them. I saw the pictures from it. But if but if everyone doesn't know, like an albino olive, I think it's actually in the kitchen. An albino olive, you know, since olives are all pretty much one color, is just that pale yellow complete snake, which I you like it because as a snake person, you don't get many patternless snakes right yeah they're definitely cool looking i've seen some pictures but i i think dave the first time he paired him up he had a little male in there with a female and the female ate the male i was i listened to his little short about that yeah you you guys did and then oh god that would just turn your stomach inside out (laughs) and yeah that's another one of those things where it's like you are i guess blackheads have the same possibility to where you pay so much for this animal and, it and then it's a really expensive <laughs> meal. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And just imagine, you know, a 12-foot giant olive python that's pale banana yellow. Yeah. Fucking... No, it's still going. Calm down. It's just Where it's just lagging go? a little bit. Oh. oh. It's not there. All right. Put it up again. <laughs> um, <laughs> it disappeared. But, yeah, I just love the look of... Liasis in general, because, you know, the Max and um, Savus, they have that kind of pixelated weirdness to them. That's what really got me onto the Savus was, you know, hey, I got to see Michaels right there. and They're really cool looking, but uh, shortly after I was researching and I found a guy online that he has some that are adult that seem to hold on to that orange undertone. Because most turn pretty black. Pretty black, right? you know, and Michael Pennell's are pretty black, but... I saw some that were were adults and you know like a breeding pair and they were still kind of high orange. I'm with, sure sh- someone out there is calling that a hypo or something. <laughs> Which you know that'd be kind of cool and see if there's some you know way to keep that up you know because yeah. it was like a you know fire orange undertone with the you know iridescent black scales speckled through it you know it's mm-hmm. like. A lot of room for some, some cool line breeding there for sure, if nothing else, you know. Yeah, I mean, I love the way Savus end up looking up, but then again, it'd be it's nice even to better some, if there's no some zone. crazy project you could work towards, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, watching you guys and you know the pictures you post of your water python and the iridescence and that sort of stuff, that's really neat to see, you know. Of course, you know, I, I would love to really have, you know, the the pinnacle. The, I'd love to have a pair of bowling someday, you know. Right. Those things are just phenomenal looking. And that's another, you know, big-ass snake. That's... They're, they're coming around this time of year, and it's... Yeah, yeah. It reminds me how out of reach they are. <laughs> <laughs> they are a bit out of my budget right now, too. So I definitely see that, but... I sure hope the guys that are, you know, trying for those this year here in the States have success. And it seems like, you know, they're going to crack it sooner or later. And, you know, hopefully this may be the year. And I mean, that's a species that someone would stick with. It's different to where you figure out how to beat, how to breed Halmahera scrubs, but who really wants scrubs that bad? So, of course, they get out of them because they're like, this snake hates me. But (laughs) a Boland is a very nice-looking, very a little bit better attitude, stuff like that. So I feel like once they crack that, it's... Yeah, they're definitely... It's going to be a game-changer when those become available. You know, I certainly hope they don't 
become overproduced and become, you know, I don't want to see them in the hands of everybody, you know, but yeah, it's one of those. Yeah. I've heard they're pretty, pretty docile and, you know, I, I know they've got a strong food response, but you know, like most Moralia or yeah, they, exactly. If you want to call them Moralia, I know most people don't <laughs> like to call them Moralia. Yeah. It, you know, all or people animals. don't like to call them Somalia. Somalia. Actually. Yeah. It'd be nice, you know, yeah. to see those someday at a little bit more affordable pace, but uh, they're certainly high on my list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something that I don't know why that's become such a big, because there's, there's certainly, you know, you can get a jungle carpet. It may not get that big, but it may have a similar look or black but doesn't have the iridescence yeah that that iridescence of a big you know a big bolens is just it's hard to beat you know Mm -hmm. the black with the white well i've been really into um scott borden's been posting his uh moluccan scrubs those things are ridiculous looking yeah yeah If you know, I don't have much desire to keep scrubs just yeah. because of the attitude and you know all the stuff that comes along with scrubs. But it, it, it's hard not to wish him success and want to buy a, a, a pair off of Fuck. you know what he comes up with. So. Yeah, I mean, if anyone hasn't seen him, I think it's New York or NY Herp Revolution or something on. Uh, on Instagram, but these things are yellow, gold flaked, speckled. You know, they're beautiful. Some nice bars. It's <laughs> it's everything you'd ever want in a snake. Mm-hmm. Probably besides that, it's probably an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, it's just a beautiful large snake that I hope he. I wish him success this year. You know, and it seems like he's getting some locks. So that's uh we can all hope, you know, I'd yeah. love to see what his pair is just so killer. It, it's, you know, it's going to result in some phenomenal offspring. And I think his female was actually perched like a green tree on the hot side <laughs> recently. So I don't know if maybe she, that means that she's going through follic- follicular growth or not. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, it uh, sounds like a good sign, you know? And yeah, I, I sure hope. Like I said, I wish him success with those because I've been watching him post those for, I mean, we all have for for years (laughs) and I'd sure like to see him hit those. And I mean, I think that's why a lot of these things aren't bred is because it does, it does take those years. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think a lot of people are, you know, have that ball python mentality, you know, let's, let's feed it in three years, you know, 18 months or whatnot. And it's some of these projects, you're just not getting away with that crap, you know? And I've always tried to take it slow with all my animals, even my ball pythons. I don't, I don't try to push them. Yeah. (laughs) Grow them slow and don't even pair them until they're over three, you know, and yeah, everything else I've, five years whatever buy it hold on to it and you know when it when i feel it's right <laughs> well i mean it. either way no matter what it pays off because honestly how much money are you really spending on them each each extra year that you have growing them up i mean not a whole lot you know yeah i mean it's better to have a healthy animal for 10 reproductive years than force it exactly have them burn out and die you know yeah five years six years old (laughs) 
I find even my corns, when you breed them young, they actually stay a bit smaller than animals that you allow to mature for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, ball pythons, and they tend to get grow either way but <laughs> they're know. the only ones that you could dump food and breed yeah, them every just, year and it doesn't they matter seem to be so domesticated at that point you know because like i said yeah there's guys that have success at that you know they feed them fucking two three times a week you know yeah first year and, and they'll have males at you know 600 grams and fucking breeding by the time they're four months old you know and they never get fat they just (laughs) are their normal body size and yeah yeah they don't seem to get obese and whatnot but i mean that's what makes them so successful because there's so much turnover in the ball python world how you know he may breed it that season and then sell it and you never know how long that snake lives after that so that's true you, you never see the anything through of those you know they, they may be dead by the time they're three four years old it's such a market that turns over and everything goes 25 percent down so it's like by the fourth year it's like yeah that may not worth not it to breed and then you anymore. sell it off yeah. yeah you know you've let him go and on to the next project or you yeah know, stuffing his babies you know with four or five other genes into your projects yeah but uh yeah it's one of those things that it's such a different um mentality especially with things like your like rock hamptons and stuff things that like very nuanced right yeah i mean they, yeah those are they're really cool animals they kind of silver and black you know looking but and, and you know and there's not a whole lot of people that are going to give two shits about those but you know it's one of those things it's they're to me they're cool and like i said it was one of those things is not a lot of people working with them so it's like you know get those and keep them and yeah maybe produce them every once in a while <laughs> you know yeah not not something I plan to do like every year or, you know, anything like that or force them. And, you know, they grow up and never breed and whatever, you know, like them, I like so. them and they're cool. <laughs> are those are those five year breeders, four year breeders? Do you know? Uh, you know, I I haven't really gotten that far into them. I plan on waiting probably five years just before I pair those. I, like I said, I, I tried to stagger when I get into projects. So, like, I'll wait, like, two, three years and then get a couple of new projects. So, you know, when they come up to breeding size, I have a couple of years to work with this group. And then, you know, in three years from that, I'll have another kind of project that I'm coming up. that'll That gives you some time to figure out your previous project, put a little energy in there. Then if you right, know, right. You know, it's... it's uh, like like you said, yeah, it gives you a little time to kind of figure it out and not rushing. And, you know, you could go out and buy all this stuff, but trying to figure out six different species in the same year, you know, you, you, you're bound to fail, you know, more yeah. than you are if you, if you just lay back and take your time and, you know, work through things. Yeah, I mean, when you're keeping different species like you do, especially if you got a bread lie, a green tree and a rock hampton and ball pythons at the same you're like doing 10 different things at the same time right right so you know you kind of want to just take it slow and like i said step through it and yeah and the people who are successful are ones that are fairly focused on certain species and 
especially things like green trees, right? <laughs> yeah, that definitely seems, you know, a lot of people do get that laser focus with those. But uh, like I said, I don't want them to be my sole focus and, you know, just like I said, try to figure them out. You know, I've got to all the time to get them to go. You know, like I said, it'd be nice if I had a couple more females to help figure it out. But we'll get to that point, you know. Yeah. I, do you probe sex them? I'm not comfortable doing that myself. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a wait for the shed kind of guy. You know, um, pretty much that's been my much at least with them. You know, ball pythons, carpets. You know, you can pop those, and it's not that big a deal. You know, easy said and done. But I, you know, I certainly wouldn't do that with the, any of my chondros, and yeah, I just don't trust things. myself running those probes because you know. Yeah. And plus, I mean, I've tried to probe even things like carpet pythons and those prehensile tails. They'll fool you as far as I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do you find for people who don't know a shed of a male or a female? What's the difference? Uh, well, you know, a male that's, uh, you know, of age, of age, you'll get the hemipenes, you know, you'll be able to, you shed the you'll be able, the, the skin, you know, it's a piece of skin just like the rest of them. So, but they're on the inside. Yeah, but that's all comes out too. And it seems that sometimes there's some sperm and stuff connected to you it can, or yeah. what's like the little, I know there's like a little yellow, like you can get, you know, you can see sperm or you'll find those floating in the water bowl more often, but really you know, the things that when everybody's holding up the sheds and you got the two little horns sticking out, those are the, you know, that's the, the hemipene slough, you know, that's the skin from that. And, you know, the females, you kind of get a little butterfly pattern, and mm -hmm. is what they call it. It's it's less pronounced. So yeah. you would say that it's easy to confuse. It would be a lot easier to confuse a male, or you wouldn't. It would be hard to confuse a male for a female from shed because it's so, it's pronounced. You have to, you would have to take into account several sheds because they don't always slough the hemipenes. So it's it's not always there. So you have to. It, it's like you know, uh, stacked evidence. You know. You but once it's have, there, you're like. Once, once you see it, you can be sure. Yeah, that's a boy. <laughs> yeah. You know. There's there's no denying that. Because I mean, just like in in any species, it seems like when you buy females. You're more likely to get a male than when you buy a male. You pretty much know it's going to be a male because someone saw hemipenes or something like <laughs> right. that. Yeah, it's, you know, some of these species are definitely easy to miss sex. And, you know, yeah. you sure have to be careful with that, you know, or find yeah, somebody something. you trust to, to help sex them for you. That doesn't happen in corns, does it? What, male for female? The, you see the hemipenes in the shed. No, I don't. I don't know that happening why really in any it, other species. Why, it, why do you think it happens in green trees? No, I've never thought about that. To be honest, because <laughs> you know you'll yeah. never see that in any other species, really. You know, I, I'll be honest. I don't e examine any of my other sheds that closely. You know, to look and see. You know, but I feel like I never even see anything when it comes it's to the. Co I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's. Never really thought about it like that <laughs> at all, but yeah, it's that's that's kind of weird. Yeah, maybe this is now a Dr. Travis Weinman. 
I'm going to be looking at ball python <laughs> sheds, sheds and looking for any <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, let us know if you find it cuz I think that just be an interesting thing like what is it about green trees that that would do that? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tony said he's seen it in his Great Plains rat. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Hmm. I wonder if he sees it in Carpandros. Well, <laughs> Tony. There you go. <laughs> Answer. Yeah, because it would. I don't know. They're half, or so you'd think they'd see it in Carpandros. Yeah, I would assume. But. And I just, I just wonder why those hybrids, like some of their Carpandros, are like, oh, that's a jungle car, but some of them are like, that's definitely a green tree with something else in it. I wonder why it's such a swing, even in like, yeah, the same clutch. It's you never know. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. Tony's produced some crazy looking stuff. Yeah, and Bill too. You know, some of those things are. Yeah. He said definitely in the Carpandros, he's seen it. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no connection between GTPs and the rat, the you know the Great Plains rat. So I wonder. Yeah, which is weird. If I looked at corn, you would think if it happens in an emery rat snake, it would happen probably in a corn snake. They're really, really close. Well, maybe we're not looking hard enough, but that that's for sure. In my case, I know I haven't, but you know, now I'm gonna be sitting there looking (laughs) from here on out. Go but through, is it uh, super obvious in the green tree? Like it's su- like it you you look yeah. at it right away and you see them. Yeah, yeah. When you see them, they're there. You know, they look like little little horns. You know. So we would have seen that, right? Um, honestly, the I mean, they can be <laughs> pressed flat to where you you know you, know, you kind of have to look for it. You know, you have to go there and press that. I feel like my green tree but... never sheds. <laughs> so I don't know. They are, you know. Bull snake too. Oh, bull snake also. Really? Well, he has about like fifty different I sheds got randomly sheds in the everywhere. <laughs> We're gonna go look through all the sheds now. Yeah. He has them. So okay, clearly. I think that's more int- than just green trees, but that's good know. to know. So yeah, you know. I don't know where or what. I never thought about it, and like I said, with the other species that keep the ball pythons, like I said, you you pop them. <laughs> yeah you can see the hemipenes the cool thing know. about ball pythons you can pop them almost through their whole life cycle yeah. some adults are difficult but yeah they can, you can still do fight it fight you a little bit but yeah i mean if you're decent at popping you can they're you can just pretty much the perfect snake to do what's <laughs> going on they're made to be bred yeah you know so what projects of ball pythons are you working with i have i have a lot of recessive projects uh you know, I work with the piebald and the clown, and I've got the the puzzle project and lavender albinos. But, um, you know, just kind of, I do ball pythons, like I said, to make stuff that I want. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just kind of get rid of the byproduct, you know. So, uh, like I said, the recessives to me are always what got me excited about that. You know, who doesn't love a good pied, you yeah. know, or... Or the clown stuff is is pretty neat. I think the market now is going way towards recessives. When back in the day, it was like, just put as many possible mutations in it. So everyone was working with incomplete dominance. It got to the point, too, where they stacked so much shit on top of each other that it turned into a brown, ugly snake or, you know, washed out and... It's like, yeah, you can't tell what the fuck yeah. <laughs> You assume there's whatever seven different incomplete dominant traits in there, but yeah. you know, until you breed it out. But I, I think definitely, yeah, the market's gonna end up 
kind of going more towards refining what you have, your projects, and, you know. And I think a good albino is always going to give you a certain price. A good pod is going to give you a certain price. Yeah, I don't think they'll go, you know, dirt cheap to the bottom. There's there's a few things that everyone will always like. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll be the stuff that will always sell, you know, and it's... And like I said, if you focus more on the line breeding and producing the best of, you know, I think that's where you'll, people will be successful, you know, like yeah. I said, focusing in on refining what you're working with, even making single gene incomplete dominance, but making the best ones out there, you know. Right. I think there's plenty of room for that kind of. Yeah, I don't think anyone even has nice pastels, and that's you know one of the older <laughs> genes in the book. Right. And it's like that's an animal to where you can see a pastel that's blazing yellow, you can see a pastel that's brown. Right. Right. So it's like there's a lot of room for. There's a lot of room for. Now that people are stopping doing a million things in one snake, maybe they can focus on that. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like there has been a little bit of a turn to that. But, you know, there's still a lot of people that are in the race to the bottom (laughs) Yeah, with that mentality. Yeah. Do you work with any clown stuff? Seems to be a really popular project. I do. I have, uh, you know, I have a really nice reduced pattern uh, clown. Um, and uh, I've got, you know, some of the blade stuff that I picked up from Sean. So, yeah, I'm hoping to be producing a couple of clown clutches this year. Um, and we'll, like I said, see what that comes up. Someone said you should get into Candy or Candino. I don't know what any of those are. I don't know about pythons. They're definitely beautiful animals. But uh, I already have the lavender albino in my collection and i'm gonna focus on that and they're, they're pretty similar correct yeah it's another really nice line of uh you know albino oh, um the thing about the lavender is it's not one that's compatible with the other strains of albino like the candy or toffee so like i said i just don't that's want... more of a distinction because you can't it's its own you know line sure. you can't mix it with anything else and uh-huh. you're not producing like a lelic you know combinations with it so uh you know i'm just gonna keep it that route <laughs> plus uh bill Steagle's all on every type of yellow ball yeah, python he, out there he is, he's killing it with the you know he does well with his candino stuff uh-huh. they're definitely beautiful animals it's just uh like i said it's not something i'm looking to add uh-huh. in my collection so um before we end so we did y'all see the picture of the hemipenes in the shed that I just showed you from? Mm-hmm. So like that's super obvious. I feel like we would have seen that in the corns if uh, we would have had it. It's something to where when I take a shed out of an enclosure, it's just like I pick it up and take it out. I don't know if you do the same thing. Yeah, I, mean, I don't look usually at it. I... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is a good representation oh, of. Yeah. See, that's perfect. Yeah. Male and fe- male and female. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, very similar. And uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I typically, when an animal sheds in my collection, they get a whole new tub. So I'm picking the animal up, putting it here, and I dump the whole bin, shed included, into the trash can, and you know, really? just move on. All the bedding. Mm-hmm. When they do it, when they shed. That that's typically the way I I run my cycle is 
they get you know i'll do spot cleaning pretty much daily you know as or as needed and then once uh when an animal sheds i i clean the rack wipe them down clorox them and new tub new furniture new bowl holder you know all that sort of stuff and makes sense why you just got a truck full of bedding because i'm (laughs) sure you go through a lot of bedding yeah i can (laughs) i mean in comparison to colubrids they're just shitting all the time i mean ball pythons and pythons in general seem to save their biggest shit oh yeah i'm not referring to shit yeah it's when they shed i do that you know when they shed even we don't change when any bedding when they shed right well i ball typically pythons. do every month or so but yeah okay. it works out about the same five six weeks maybe you know between sheds or something with the mm-hmm. ball pythons but you know typically when a ball python sheds they shit and make a big mess as well (laughs) so i just do it all at once and you know that that makes sense it keeps my record keeping nice and easy so (laughs) you know when they shed i know they got a deep clean and you know i can look that all up so (laughs) that makes sense so if anyone wants to get in touch with you or know what animals are available where can they reach you yeah i'm on facebook um you can get me at either jason brumley or the brumley reptiles uh i'm on instagram brumley reptiles and uh you know i'm pretty accessible so anybody has any questions just uh reach out to me when can we expect to see some photos if your green tree lays eggs will you post oh they'll be all over the place (laughs) you'll hear me y'all will probably hear me screaming i'll hear you from here house you know if that happens so you know I, i will be shouting from the mountaintop so to speak (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming all the way hey, out here. I really appreciate you guys having me out. It was nice to come see you guys and see your collection. And, uh, you know, you taught me a little bit about corn snakes today. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then you can teach me all about green trees or <laughs> when it comes time, maybe I'll get a pair. Or... Uh, green if, I, if I ever get a pair, I mean, I'm an idiot and I would ask a lot of questions too about <laughs> everyone who would ever... <laughs> Who would ever listen to me? Yeah. Um, It's a lot of work. Did you say anything about NARBC in your opening thing? Are you going to NARBC? I'm going to try to make it up Saturday, I think. That's like two consecutive trips. That's a big week. It is. (laughs) I mean, if you do go, I don't want to invite you, but Tony is trying to have Austin over and some people over. I don't want to invite you. But I mean, yeah. If you come over, you should come to dinner. I want to go to Tony. Even though it's another 45 minutes further for yeah. you. But, I mean, we're all driving, so if you wanted to come with us. I'm no stranger to long drives, so, yeah, yeah. if it works out. Uh, we'll... If Tony will have you, maybe he's, yeah, he'll we'll... say no. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> see where that ends up. You can check out his mutants, his hybrid mutants. I'd love to. I, I want to <laughs> see his uh, Apodora. Yeah. You know, that's... He's got this big crazy thing that. I see all these beautiful pictures of, so. Yeah, we all went to Austin's and checked out his Poplin Python and then Tonally. So, yes. I just said Tonally instead of Totally. There you go. You mixed it. If you guys live in Arlington, Fort Worth, Dallas... Anywhere in in, Tony's, okay, in the Texas area, go to NARBC Arlington at the Arlington Convention Center. I believe that's That's uh, go see the big stadium with 
the Rangers Stadium, and it's right across from the Rangers Stadium. The Dallas Star thingy majig. Oh, uh, stadium. what's his name? Jerry. Jerry's World. Jerry's World. It's not right across from Jerry's it's World. It's right, right, it's right across from the top. Rangers. Really, really, <laughs> really. Thank you. This weekend, Friday, you can go and see them set up if you get VIP. If not, you can go Saturday or Sunday. It's Why not... are you advertising for the show? Okay, sorry. Come see us at NRBC. This is not a sponsor. Don't listen to her. <laughs> we'll, we'll you do whatever you want. <laughs> Come talk to us. If you have a Port Python shirt, wear it. <laughs> there you go. That's advertising. Whoa. And uh, enter the contest because we're going to give out three shirts. And honestly, what is there? Like 50-something entries. So it's like your chance of winning a shirt is pretty high. So you can enter three times, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. And, um, yeah, so just enter that, portcitypythons.com. Um, we have a podcast that you're listening to right now, so you know how to do that. Facebook, Instagram, whatever, guys. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a good one, guys.